0: Rob Dash we call school eh will haar. and apologies anyone who speaks anything on I probably butchered that but to translate it into words that you'll understand hello and welcome to series three of the glorious hit or Miss Star Trek podcast I am your usual host uh, I am Mike or as of today I am Michael son of will <laughs> because if you aren't aware, and you should be by now, we've posted it on social media and mentioned it on previous videos, this third season of the podcast is going to be dedicated to all things Klingon. We're going to do Klingon-related episodes, so episodes that feature a heavy focus on the Klingons, of course. Uh, starting with the episode we're doing, we will reveal later in this episode, as if you need us to, because you'll see the thumbnail, but still, we'll pretend there's a pretense of uh, <laughs> something. And not, not to mention the fact it's actually written on the screen, as I, as I mentioned, if you're watching on YouTube. But, you know, as I said, we'll, we'll keep the pretense that there's some surprises. <laughs> I am uh, joined, as always, by my usual co-host. Welcome, DK. Thank
1: you. Uh, pleasure to be here, as usual. And thank you for covering Mean Phlegm.
0: <laughs> Glorious, yes. You are my char for this <laughs> series. <laughs> And yes, I will be making multiple Klingon references. Um, Yeah, so you're going to be starting out this season, uh, viewers and listeners, with just the two of us for the first time in a while. Because well, we did have a guest planned who kind of dropped out, but it was a bit vague. And quite frankly, it's been ages since me and DK have just had a natter between us. And uh, you know, well, we enjoy hanging out and talking all things Trek anyway. So it's a good way to start off the series and start, uh, you know, ease people into the whole Klingon theme. I think. But it does mean that you know that we would normally do a, a healing frequencies open section, which now I think about it, I do have something I was going to uh, throw at DK, which I was going to you know drop into the hit or miss section, but I think I'll uh, I'll pop it in here now. So yeah. Um, You don't know by now, and you probably should, it's the third or maybe fourth series, actually, I'm not sure. Actually, yes, it is the fourth series, and I've said third continually. Apologies, it's the fourth series of the podcast. It's the third one where we actually have a theme, because we just did random episodes in series one, then it was Borg and AI-themed, then it was time travel-themed, and this time we're doing Klingons. But if you're not familiar with the uh, the layout of the podcast, we basically break down into little sections, uh, and it starts with this one, uh, and that is Healing Frequencies Open.
1: Hailing frequencies open, sir.
0: So, there we go. Uh, DK, how are things with you in the Trek universe? You've recently, uh, I think, at time of recording, we've finished Star Trek: Picard season three. We're eagerly awaiting Strange New World season two, and uh, that's that's the state of play. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I've uh, I've not, uh, apart from obviously today's episode, I've not. Don't think I have really watched any Trek since uh, since Picard. So yeah, I'm looking forward to. Strange New Worlds.
0: Awesome. And uh, you can always check out our review, by the way. We did a two-part review of the whole series of Picard, uh, one video for Seasons 1 and 2 and a separate one for Season 3, given how, you know, prevalent it was everywhere and how much it was talked about. Um, But, yeah, so the thing I wanted to – I would normally be bringing up to a guest, and, and I will in future weeks, you know, uh what's your favorite related episode of star trek or what what got you into trek we we kind of know that with dk uh but i can ask you something more specific that i was going to ask the guests dk which i haven't asked you yet which is uh do you have a favorite klingon related story or any sort of top three i guess stories or things you'd like to shout out Oof, uh
1: I do like uh, the classic episodes uh, you mentioned them just prior to recording. Actually, uh, Day of the Drove, Trouble with Tribbles, and this one. Uh, when it comes to uh, Next Generation, I do have a soft spot for Redemption. Obviously, okay. DS Nine got to go with Way of the Warrior, really. Mm. Uh, and you know, going back to the going back to my old favorite, the movies. Just, you know, Star Trek, uh, the little glimpse we saw of them in Star Trek, the motion picture with their redesigned foreheads that captured my yeah. imagination. And then again, in uh, Search
0: of Spot. It captured your imagination. Then you're not an an accurate representation of Trekkies, because clearly you should have gone onto the then non-existent Internet and complained that it wasn't really canon because the Klingons don't look like that. And I you refuse to accept it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, somebody did post something like that actually the other day on one of the social media sites that was time is a circle and it was a I think it was a fanzine article where it was genuinely somebody complaining about the movie design of the clients because it wasn't what they looked like so yeah really is that a, a, <laughs> yeah seriously oh, good great yeah actual genuine yeah I think there were a few people that were like this isn't right it doesn't look like the original series and what have you and uh, yeah and that, actually, this particular letter was bemoaning the fact, not so much that it happened, but more that there was a lack of any explanation for it. And I was like, oh, person that wrote, if only you waited like five decades for an episode of Enterprise to explain yeah. it
1: to you. <laughs> and yeah, I get the feeling that they'd have watched it and still not been happy.
0: Probably not. Some people never are. But uh, yeah, never mind. we got a lot of good fans coming on and we have a lot to talk about. So interesting you didn't mention any, any uh, Voyager Klingon on stuff particularly with it, Torres.
1: I do like, uh, I, I will say, I do like Barge of the Dead, but mm. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. As you know from uh, earlier series, I've only ever done one full play, uh, watch through of Voyager. So my memory is very spotty when it comes to that.
0: There's a few that I would shout out as being not necessarily good or bad, but certainly, you know, no on episodes other than just every appearance of Bellana. And I'm thinking specifically of Faces uh, from series one, where it splits her into her Klingon and human cells. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Um,
0: there's also uh, prophecy from the final season, not a you know not the greatest episode, but it is Klingon centric. Uh, Day of Honor also springs to mind, season four, um, and then obviously the aforementioned Part of the Dead, which we're reviewing at some point in this series. So yeah, and uh, yeah. What about the uh, Discovery Klingons? As I think the only real appearance of them in the newer stuff, other than the few lower decks cameos. I wasn't particularly a fan.
1: It was. It, they were okay. I don't, you know, loathe them like many many seem to. But uh, yeah. yeah, they weren't. They, they, they weren't my favourites. I, I, I didn't really like the the storyline when it came to season one if i'm being completely honest with you so uh, i kind
0: of agree with you on that one but i think season two did a lot i mean we've mentioned before season two is basically just fire everybody and let's do a cannon repair to her Uh, but i did like that they did that with the klingons they made them look you know they they gave them their hair back made them look a bit more familiar got rid of all those crappy ship designs and mentioned that there'd only be one and it is the familiar d7 kind of thing Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah they were just so out there in in the opening
1: of season one that it was just it was it, yeah. it was kind of hard to believe that it was the same show at that point, but uh, yeah, they did a they did a decent enough job of uh, retcon well, not not necessarily retconning it, but you know, as you no. say, repairing canon.
0: Yeah, walking it back. And speaking of which, because um, I don't think I've had your opinion on this, uh, I'm assuming you've seen the Strange New Worlds season two trailer. I have, yes. So, uh, what's your opinion of the suddenly very familiar-looking Klingons? Considering it's, you know, it's only a few years after discovery, it's meant to be the same universe. It's a direct spin-off, and now we have Klingons that just look like next-gen Klingons. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Although it would, it would have been nice for, you know, canon's sake if they'd have put some of the augment virus mm-hmm. ones in the background.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I kind of, I know a lot of people would complain about this, but I personally do like that kind of explanation, even from Enterprise. So I would have liked a reason, even if they explain that as, you know, the Discovery Season 1 Klingons are an attempt to cure it gone wrong or a rogue mutation or something, because they do look very, you know, vastly different. Um, so it would be nice to do that. But yeah, given how close we're supposed to be to original series and stuff yeah they shouldn't really even look like the next gen going on it's an odd choice yeah uh, one way or the other but yeah anyway so i think um, at this point
1: you know you've got that many fans that have never even really touched uh, original series so i think at that point you'd just be uh, adding kind of fuel to the fire as to how they should look and stuff like that and i think it's a uh, it's unfortunately we we've, we've got this look now which everybody's widely accepted as canon and any yeah. kind of time that you differentiate from it whether you've seen them in the past or not people are gonna you're always gonna get some some group that are up in arms about how things look so that's I mean
0: there is also the problem that the non-prosthetic makeup is let's be honest horrifically racist unfortunately so yeah you can kind of see why they would steer clear from it that way as well but anyway uh, never mind. But no, speaking of the uh, the Strange New World season two trailer, that was the thing I was uh, talking about. That I'm, I'll bring it up in this section. I was going to do it for the first hit or miss. But uh, what do you think about the appearance that we got of uh, lower Dex characters in live action? And uh, this um, is an officially officially released publicity image on screen. If you're watching on YouTube, by the way, and it shows Boimler and Mariner in the uniform. So yeah, I, take it away. <laughs> I would be lying if I if I was going to say that I wasn't excited for
1: this. This, yeah. <laughs> this this is one of the things I am most excited for with uh, season yep. two. <laughs> yeah. Not quite sure how they're going to pull it off. I mean, it's Star Trek. We've had time to have stories coming out the yeah. so. Uh, but uh, I'm just I'm just a little sad that we might not. You know, we'll probably not see uh, Tendi or Rutherford. But other than that, I can't wait. Well,
0: that the thing is, there's so many rumors circulating about about what may or may not happen, and I do want to be surprised. But one person or two on YouTube speculated oh, maybe we will get a quick cameo scene of all of the others, because obviously they won't be in the episode. You know, logistically, you're not going to get every actor down there. You're not going to get them all in makeup and whatever, but you might see a cameo from some of them. And one thing I have heard, which if you do want to avoid spoilers, you know... uh, Red Alert. Listening in a couple of minutes' time, but... um. Basically, Anson Mount had let it slip at some point that you will see an animated Captain Pike. So the implication there is that some of the episode, at least, will be animated lower deck style. You know, majority of it will be Strange New Worlds live action. So it will be a true crossover in that sense that we'll get animated Strange New Worlds characters along with the live action lower deckers. And then in that respect, you might, I guess, therefore see the animated characters in animated form in the episode. Okay, maybe um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting as an episode just to see what it's like. And from the tiniest of hints that we got in the um, the um trailer, I mean, the only thing that really shows you is Boimler just fully geeking out about the fact that he's had a live long and prosper from Spock. And yeah, once again, Boimler, the most relatable character in yeah. all of Trek, because that'd pretty much be the same. <laughs> live, live long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know... <laughs> But yeah, the thing I was asking is, what do you think of the uniforms? Though, how do you think and the character designs? Really, what do you think? How do you think they translate to uh, to live action?
1: I think they've done as you know as good a job as they can. I do like the look of the uniforms.
0: Mm. I think they've done a cracking job with the uniforms. It's not as bright a red as it looks in animation, but I think they've made the right choice. Yeah. but it just fits in so much better and it looks kind of nicer. And when I first saw the uniforms in animation, I was very skeptical about how far down the black part goes because you know being next gen nerds we're familiar with it being more of a shoulders only thing yeah but seeing it now it really does just work weirdly it's just like yeah okay i can (laughs) see what you're what you're doing there and i love the you know movie era flap that they have seemingly from the like monster maroon uniforms it's nice to see them have their rank pip with a single one and uh I, I did watch the Trek Yards breakdown, which got really specific about it and was kind of like, the black actually goes further down than it does in the live action, and the COM badge isn't right. It's a Strange New Worlds badge, rather than it should actually be the Voyager badge without the wings, but that's very nitpicky. And yeah. I was like, yeah, in fairness, that really is. And uh, saying that, they did they pointed out a few things, and there's a few things I've noticed that I really love that are little touches, which is, first of all, um that... Yeah, Mariner does actually have her sleeves rolled up. I do like that. Yeah, (laughs) I was going to bring that up. I love that. And uh, uh, Tony Newsom actually did go on Instagram and mention that they are both wearing wigs. But uh, kudos to them for actually going for the purple hair for Boimler. Yeah. <laughs> Way to commit. I love that. Wish that went a little bit more severe because there is images from a convention of Jack Quaid wearing like a purple wig with the full on quiff going on. But at the same time, yeah, the whole point is live action. It would look a little bit less cartoony, wouldn't it? That's, you know, reality compared to cartoon. But not imagine. I,
1: I am now wondering how how uh, Pike's quiff going to look in animated form.
0: That's well, the yeah, that's...
1: question that I have on my mind now.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, uh, yeah, can't wait, man. I can't wait. I just love these actors as well and these characters and the way that they've matched the kind of character models and everything with with the with the wigs and the uniforms and such. Uh, yeah. And then as said, as soon as you hear them talk, particularly mainly like Jack Quaid, you're just like, crap, this really is the character because naturally it's the voice you're used to, isn't it? So they are acting. They're putting on a performance. So. I can't wait. I think it'll be my favourite. Uh, I think I said on my social medias, I know there's other episodes this season, and yes, I'm you know looking forward to that as well. I'm looking forward to all of the stuff they hint at, with the exception of the Gorn stuff, because we've <laughs> talked at length about how I'm not yeah. one of the basically retcon of the gone that's happening, but I suppose it is what it is. Uh, but no, there's other things that look pretty good. I'm excited to see, like I said, the Klingons appearing again. and
1: I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm was, looking forward to seeing Carol Kane.
0: Yeah, yeah, as the new uh, chief engineer, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, even in the trailer, uh, giving Ortegas like a cool moment because they clearly know she's like the fan favorite new character. Yeah. So, yeah, awesome stuff. Even though it is basically just a rip off of the opening scene of Serenity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm there. Uh, I think this is the one, this is the only episode title. I don't know if they've if it's the only one they've revealed, but it's the only one I know, and it's going to be episode seven of season two and it's going to be titled those old scientists rather brilliantly. <laughs> uh. I see what you did there. So yeah, looking forward to that one. And uh, yeah, definitely consensus from both of us is that uh, we're looking forward to strange new world season two. I will say I started uh, this week watching the, now that it's finally been released on 4 I started rewatching season one again. And uh, it looks amazing. Episode one is a little less punchy than I remembered it being on first watch. It takes a little bit longer and it, uh, It's a tiny bit clunkier with its messaging than I remembered it being. But uh, yeah, still good, still very good episode, great show. So, (laughs) Uh, right. So, with that out of the way then, uh, I guess we'll just have to move to our second section, uh, which is the section that we always do, and uh, it is the hit or miss section. What about my performance? I'm not a drama critic. Uh, we are breaking into the next section, the hit or miss section, and if you are here as a new listener, which you may be, or a new viewer, uh, this is basically what gives the podcast its name, and it's a section where I pick random things from the Star Trek universe, uh, which my co-host DK, if he's not hosting, and our guests at all times aren't aware of. They basically will get hit with these things for the first time. I ask if they're a hit or a miss, a little reasoning why, uh, I then give my sort of two cents. Uh, we come up with a the consensus, therefore, for the podcast, or you know, decide that there is none if it, Just so happens as two of us, you know, one of us might agree, one might disagree that it's a hit. Um, And yeah, we take it from there and hopefully spark a little bit of debate uh, through the week as the episode airing and uh, such as well. Uh, As happened with the last two themed series, I am going to try to drop in things that are related to the theme. So you'll see Klingon things appearing, but I'm not going to make it entirely all just Klingon based. Uh, as i scroll and look here i do notice that i picked a, a majority about 80 or 90% klingon based ones for this one but that won't always happen it's just there's always going to be at least a couple in there so yeah tk it's been a long time since we've done a hit or miss section how are you feeling about this uh,
1: yeah a little nervous cuz as i say you know there's certain things my memory's a bit hazy and as it, as you say it's been a long road
0: uh, getting from there to here, it has indeed. <laughs> <laughs> right, fair enough. Well, no, I've got images and stuff to help us now that we've learned how to do that. So if it needs, uh, hopefully that jogs your memory. But some of it, I think most of these looking at it as uh, stuff you're going to know, hopefully. So the first thing on the section for today is Klingon themed. It's a character. So DK, hit or miss the character of Kern, Wolf's brother. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like him. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, not, he's not overly in your face. Uh, again, my memory doesn't hold up that great. Yeah, I liked him. He's, yeah. you know, as members of the Wars family go, he's more memorable than others. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go uh, a bit antagonistic, but I'm, I, I like him. I like him. Uh, uh, Tony yeah. Todd, isn't it?
0: I was just going to say, I think that's the thing that sells me on it. I, I'm definitely on the side of hate. To give that early but the majority of that i think is the performance and it is a good chunk of that is because it's tony todd yeah. so you know <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> i'm gonna go that. i'm gonna go with hit on that one awesome
0: yeah as i say i'll say the same I, I do actually really like the character i think he's really interesting and it's a shame that we didn't get to see more of him because i can remember he, a couple of next gens a matter of honor and sins of the father that i think he's in and obviously the um i can't remember the title of it but the ds9 episode where he basically has to live with Worf's shame after the whole Way of the Warrior thing, and then he instead gets, instead of the ritual suicide that he wants, he basically gets genetically altered and adopted by a new family and stuff, so that's the end of the character. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen DS9, but it is several decades older at this point. (laughs) But yeah, there was something interesting about that character, because he was kind of like, he was Worf, but if Worf was way more attached to Klingon culture and honour and all of that stuff, which obviously Worf is, but you can imagine a version of him that's even more tied like that is... It would be interesting i wish we'd seen more of him but what we did see i always liked like i said he was played well it was interesting seeing a more cling on cling on after being used to just wolf and the yeah. odd view in those early seasons so i think hit as well uh, <clears throat> so yeah i think that uh obviously gives us consensus on kern that we're gonna see a hit yeah and uh with particular shout out to uh to mr tony todd for for making that character the most likable. He's
1: <laughs> well, always watchable in whatever he does, really.
0: Always watchable, yeah. Likeable might be a stretch when it comes to uh, angry Klingons, but watchable always. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> the second thing I have for today is another character, um, but this time not Klingon, and not even live action. Uh, so hit or miss the character of <sighs> Keshon from Lower Decks. Uh,
1: I know everybody loves him, but... He's kind of a non-entity for me. <laughs> I think he was more likeable as the cuddly toy. <laughs> yeah, right. he, he, he's okay. He's okay, but he's... No, he's not my favourite. Uh, I'm going to have to go with soft. Soft, very soft, so don't hate me, everyone. Very soft miss on this one.
0: Well, if you're going to you know, get the hit, then we'll, we'll accept it together, because I'm going to go ahead and say miss as well. I don't think he really works. I think... It's a cool idea to have, you know, the from the aliens from Darmok, the Temerians, in there, and to try and play that for comedy, but it just doesn't work. Yeah, and they never really tell any good jokes with it that would make it work. And again, I can't, I don't know the ins and outs, so I might be speculating on things that aren't true. But it seemed to me like they were basically setting him up as a replacement for Shax. Yeah, and then realized, you know, a couple of episodes into season two, this isn't working out. And we can basically do what we want because we're an animated comedy. So let's just bring back Shax. Unfortunately, now we have this new character that has to appear somewhere. So we'll just stick him in the background in the odd yeah. moment. And as you said, he's not really, he's kind of a non-entity. It's just kind of like in the odd episode, it's like, oh yeah, crap, he's, he's a thing. He's still there. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think he's also kind of symptomatic for me of, of a problem the word X has, which is sometimes it thinks that instead of making a joke, you just have to reference things. And I always kind of like, no, that's that's not funny. That's Big Bang Theory level of humor. And yeah. it's just like, hey, you know, Doctor Who, Star Trek and whatever are things, isn't that funny? No, not unless you make a joke. And this very much is like, hey, remember that episode of uh, Next Gen that everyone loves? Yes, I do. What's, what's your joke?
1: <laughs> yeah, I do think they brought it in with the intention of thinking, oh, this, this is going to be hilarious. And he, he just kind of wasn't.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a, I mean, it's the only thing that is, and it doesn't ruin anything, it doesn't ruin the episodes, and if, you know, his one episode, his intro episode, Sean, his eyes open, I think is, you know, it's the one that really does do something with him, and it does do something interesting enough to hold your attention, although I don't love the episode, because, again, it just feels like that episode in particular is just reference, 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 aren't we funny, which, you know... The odd one works like the the corpse of the giant Spock hanging, in, hanging up in that episode is a reference yeah. that works for me. That's that that is funny. But then at times when they're just like, ha, look, it's like a you know, an archaeological object from that one episode of TNG. And <laughs> that's yeah. that's not on the surface of it, just funny on its own, you know. So, yeah, and like I say, I think that is that is Keishon's ultimate feeling is for a comedy, like what's what's he doing? Who is he? What's his what's his thing? Nope. It doesn't work for me, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, don't hate us if you're a fan of the character. Fair enough. And I say I I do love the species and I love that episode of TNG, but I just don't. For me, it just doesn't really work as a a comedy bit. Number three on the list, we're back to Klingon-themed. We're talking ships uh, again, uh, as we did quite recently. Watch our top ten Federation ships episode, or Starfleet ships. Uh, And, yeah, the next thing on the list for today, then hit or miss the Klingon Katinga-class battlecruiser. There it is.
1: <laughs> it's it's iconic. I love <laughs> it. I love it. I just. I knew you would. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you see them at the start of the motion picture, mm-hmm. did you- <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I had the Corgi Enterprise, the USS Enterprise. Uh, you know, the one that fired the little discs back in the day. Yeah, and I really wanted the Klingon one as well, and mm. uh, yeah, I just think it's it's a it's a classic, and you don't as as we've talked about when it comes to Discovery, you don't mess with the classics,
0: and yeah, uh, which I mean, Discovery did just bring it straight back a lot. I mean, they they have a D seven, but it is effectively, you know, it looks more Katinga than D seven. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I yeah, I just absolutely
1: love this. I, you know, at the risk of of you know, putting Will into a coma. Yeah, this is a definite <laughs> hit for me.
0: Yes, Will Templar, our good friend who just has no opinion on any ship design ever. <laughs> just can't understand why we would care. But no, I'm with you. I really, I like this. And it's it's very comparable to me to the, uh, the, the motion picture version of the Enterprise compared to the original in that I love the D7 Battlecruiser. Don't get me wrong. I recognize how iconic that design is. And that's basically what they've used here. But what they've done to it to make it look... Improved and you know, 1979 movie style and whatever, just improved on perfection in that weird kind of way that, yeah, you know, that that we we see it about the uh, the original Enterprise, they did something very similar, called it a refit. And I'm like, yeah, this just is it is a D7 in every conceivable way, except it looks better, you know, because it's not 60s. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I never used to really be that fond of the motion picture in general, but was never that fussed about that opening scene until last year when I saw the film in theatres for the first time in, in the big screen. And I was like, wow, When that that really is like, you know, people talk about the first scene of Star Wars and the impact that it has when it pans to the planet and then the ship flying over, shooting and yeah. stuff. And I got that sense from the first shot of the Klingon ships in the motion picture when you actually see it in crystal clear quality on the big screen and the way it pans through. I was like, oh, I get it now. And they look incredible, just oh, so definitely. tangible and like, oh, it's just... They're great. Plus, just such a cool design. I mean, Klingon designs generally, I think, for the most part, are pretty cool. Discovery yeah. excluded from that, season one in particular, I should say. But, uh, but yeah, I just love it. I love it. Ah, oh, well, that was a very easy but There's not really a whole lot else to say about that, is it? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how well your memory is going to hold out on this one, because the next thing is still Klingon-related, and it is an episode. It is a season one episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, and it is the episode Heart of Glory. Is it a hit or a miss? Oh, I
1: did not like this episode. <laughs> I, okay. uh, no, I just I, again, my memory isn't you know hundred percent on this, but it just to me it just made the Klingons look a bit pathetic, really. <laughs> not, not the whole, not the whole, you know, crying out to one stove a car and all that kind of stuff.
0: Uh, yeah, but
1: they just seemed—I don't know. It's—it's it's like they were trying to make the Klingons sneaky, and to me, Klingons were never that.
0: Mm. that's fair enough. I'll be brutally honest. I have almost no memory of this. I know I've seen this episode. And yet it's it perhaps is the most damning thing I can say about it, that it just it went in one ear and out the other, so to speak. It was just very like the only thing I remember really about it is, like you said, the thing that became uh, a thing later, which is the whole if somebody dies, you scream out loud to warn the warriors they're coming and whatever. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. But and that's where that originated. And like I said, I've seen the episode. Don't really recall much. I know Vaughn Armstrong's in it you know, regular yeah. guest star. And I know, I, I I only really remember how I felt after it rather than the ins and outs of the plot. And, and I recall feeling similar to you, which is like, this was barely Klingons. Yeah. You know I mean, this just seems like it could really have been almost anybody. And it was, it seems jarring, especially now that we've, you know, we've gotten so much further into that culture and we saw them so much more. And I mean, this was, I think it was even before we'd had Undiscovered Country. So yeah. the Klingons yeah. were very, you know, barely registering, you know.
1: To go back to it, when you look at Kern and Kern saying that Worf should act more of a Klingon at times, mm. that, you believe, I don't think you got it with with these because, you know, they were trying to get Worf on side and saying, you know, he should be more Klingon and stuff like that. But they didn't, to me, they didn't really come across as Klingons. They, as I say, they would have seemed a bit pathetic and the whole, you know, yeah. let's make a gun out of various bits of our uniforms and stuff. Right. <laughs> it, it, to me, it just seemed a bit, no. The, these yeah. were not the Klingons that you'd seen in, you know, Trek 3. These weren't the Klingons that you'd seen in the original series. They just came across as a, a little, a pale imitation to me.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, see, I, and yeah, when you think of how, like, even the Duras sisters, how iconic and brilliantly handled that as, like, recurring Klingon characters, and and yet these guys, I, I have no memory whatsoever, like I said. No. The only other thing about the episode I do remember is that it was written at a, like I said, at a time when they hadn't really developed that much in the way of Klingon culture, and they hadn't named the planet yet, so there's a line somewhere in it about how they're, they're searching for the traitors of Kling, because they were clearly, like, that was going to be what they called the home planet before they decided on Kornos, um, yeah. and it's just so funny that they've had to kind of on that in whichever way they can now, so if you look in, like, the... You know the encyclopedia or memory alpha and stuff, it's like Kling must be a district or something somewhere on Gross. Yeah, I remember watching that,
1: and you know, as you know, I've we've, we've talked, I was I used to be a mad fan of the old Star Trek role playing game, mm. and they back then it was called Kling's Eye. Oh, what? And, <laughs> uh, yeah, and and so it kind of that that threw me. When when they called it Kling and I'm like, I will Kling's Eye, and then they changed it to Kronos and I thought, Oh, good grief. But yeah, <laughs> this is it's just kinda I don't know. It, it to me it's just like the yeah, it it just doesn't it, it doesn't work. I know what they were trying to do and mm-hmm. I get I you know, I appreciate the fact that Worf was a you know an intriguing character he's he's a klingon he's in starfleet and i know they wanted to play on that but they did it so much better later on this, this, yeah, these were the faltering thing, it? steps and they, they really did falter
0: yeah so you're gonna say i'm assuming a miss then
1: that's a miss from me yeah
0: yeah i'll say the same and i think it is again it's you could say the same thing about season one of next gen that, that you just did about the episode which is yeah okay, you're starting, you're trying stuff, and you're making your first faltering steps. Thankfully, you got better later, but this just wasn't really up to scratch, unfortunately. So,
1: No, I mean, if you compare this, and you know yourself, I'm not the biggest fan of the Romulans, but if you compare that episode in season one of Trek to the neutral zone, they nailed the Romulans in that episode.
0: But they They, barely appeared, to be fair, in that episode. But it was
1: still better
0: than this. Well, fair enough. It's funny you should bring up the Romulans, actually, because for the next thing thing on the Hit or Miss for this week, uh, we're sticking with another ship. We're not going Klingon, but we are kind of relating it, I guess, to Klingon things in a sense. Uh, Hit or Miss, the Romulan Bird of Prey, specifically from the 2260s. And, yes, there are two images on screen, because technically they're supposed to be the same thing, but there are clearly two things here, one from original series, one from Strange New Worlds. So.
1: I actually do like this ship. I've always liked yeah. this ship. It's, I mean, it's not as iconic, to, in in my opinion, anyway, as the uh, the uh, yeah. D seven. And I remember the days when, at some points, they did use D sevens for Romulan ships. Uh, yes. I do like the uh, the 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 painted motif on it. Uh, yeah. It's. <sighs> It's, it's definitely a hit for me. It's just not up there with the greatest ship design. It's right. It's utilitarian, which is the best way I can describe the, my uh, my ambivalence towards the Romulans anyway. It's there. It serves a purpose. It serves a function. It's all right if you look at it from a certain angle.
0: So, I mean, where, what side are you coming down on there then when it comes to this one?
1: I'm coming down on hit. It's definitely a hit, but it's nowhere near as strong a hit as the, uh, the earlier Katinga class.
0: Uh, and what do you think? It's as regards to the fact that, as I said, that these two ships are supposed to be the same. When it came to Strange New Worlds, what do you think of the redesign?
1: I can, I can kind of forgive it. It's it, you know, it's the same, same thing as with any, you know, kind of updated. The only thing that so far I've not been able to forgive them for is, uh, as you mentioned earlier, the gone in Strange New World. I just see it as an updated an updated kind of version. I I don't, I'm not one of these people that would just have a meltdown about it, but. uh... Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, (laughs) before I get into anything else, I'm just going to say that I don't particularly, I love the Strange New Worlds version for what it is. Like I love how it looks and it's awesome and everything, but it's one of the few times I think where I'm just like, no, because it's too different. You've went too far with it and the primary issue that i have is the bird just doesn't look the same on it now like they they've changed that and there's no need to because that's iconic and cool and just keep it the way it is but instead they've kind of made it look stylized and made like spread out feathers on one of the nacelles and stuff and i'm just like it's it's no longer the same thing cuz you've made it look too different and uh, i know it's a weird complaint for people that are fine with you know the the enterprise even though that's Clearly not the same, but, you know, it looks enough like it. And this is, you know, in a similar way, this looks enough like it, you know, if it was just the whole texturing or the, you know, the color of the nacelle uh, Passard collector or whatever, I'd be fine with. But I just can't get past the bird and <laughs> the way it doesn't look like the original one, because I, too, love that original design. Um, I think it's it's rightfully iconic. And that was the thing that always stuck with me from it was like, what a cool concept. It's called a bird of prey. And it is literally you've painted a bird on your ship. You know, because you're trying to look predatory and threatening and that's just cool. You know, especially for, you know, this this was very early in the run of TOS. It was Balance of Terror that you saw them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a shame that they, they felt they needed to, I think, alter it that much. Even the kind of the version that you see in Picard, which has since been said to be a refit of the Romulan Bird of Prey. I think it's closer than what Strange New Worlds gives us with this. Uh, which is a bit of a shame. But I will say the one thing that I do love about the Strange New Worlds one is their interpretation of the plasma weapon, though, which just looks really cool. Um, The way it kind of charges at the front and then forms into the ball of plasma that then gets shot. Like, obviously, they couldn't... They barely featured any kind of weapon shots in the original series. And when they did, it was usually... You know, it looks like somebody's just putting, you know, a blue line with a marker pen on (laughs) on the film or something because they did the best they could. But, yeah, that's the one thing I think it got right. But When it comes to the Bird of Prey in terms of the design... The general design and the aesthetic and the idea of it—such a hit for me. And like I said, the fact that it was—it was one of the rare times I think, as well, that it—it was a ship that looked almost nothing like, you know, the Enterprise because they were so, you know, oh, we've got to just kit bash something together with what we've got. Yeah, this was a really cool thing. It's a shame that somebody stepped on the model and destroyed it, as I will mention in our episode review later. But yes, that's the reason why there was an exchange and Romulans had to use Klingon ships when it came to season three because I did not know that. Yeah, somebody stepped on the Burda Frey model and it was no longer available for filming, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, I think we're both going to say it's a hit, though, the design. And then yeah. I randomly had a Strange New Worlds rant for no reason. <laughs> uh, just literally two more, then. We may as well get through them because I've got them all down here, so why not? So the uh, the second to last thing, then, for this hit or miss section is a character that I believe you probably alluded to earlier. Uh, and it is Klingon-related. It is Alexander Rojenko. <laughs> Hit or miss. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> see the, that 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 brief period when the young Alexander was on board the Enterprise D, mm. and you know you had that little that little spate of episodes I can't even remember the name of them. say for that one where he helped out Picard and Roe and Guinan when they all kind of turned into children and all that kind of Rastles, stuff? Yeah. yeah there's also it.
0: that uh, there's the one where he basically has an entire arc with Luaxana Troy which I believe is called cost of living or something along those lines yeah and it's like you know she's teaching him how to adjust to your life and be yourself or whatever else um but yeah, I mean, I can't really. remember. There's a fistful of datas, but he's kind yeah. of supposed to do it. And and the
1: one where I can't remember the one where uh, he was playing up, and then there was a fire in bo- on you know on board and in the nursery, and he went back to get those uh, hand puppets in the tank. Uh, <laughs> I, I can guess.
0: only vaguely recall that, but yeah, I
1: can yeah, I, I I that was the 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 point where I was. I had a lot of, lot of disposable income back then so that's when i started kind of buying them the the you know, <laughs> as they were released so i have fond memories of alexander during that period because i i, I was enjoying tng at that period mm-hmm. but then he the the whole grown-up alexander and yeah he's about as memorable to me as he is to Worf.
0: <laughs> ouch yeah okay.
1: it, no he's Young Alexander, I would say, is a hit. What they did with him later on, it's it's very much a miss. So uh, I don't know which way to go with that, really. Uh, mm, intriguing. Let's see what you can say. Yeah, it. it they kind of cancel each other out. I'm, I'm going gonna... for my
0: opinion, and then you can always see if you can yeah, maybe, go maybe go the opposite of what I say to try and balance it. Yeah, go on, Weirdly enough, I'm. Similar to you, but also like the reverse in that I think child Alexander is worse. <laughs> I don't understand why. I just find him really annoying. And I feel like the writer's never got a handle on why he was there or what to do with him, which is why, like like you said, he's he's got a different character that he jibes with every time he appears. And it's never Worf for the most part, which is the most annoying. He's very like Worf, like a very absentee parent. And it's like one episode, he's being parented by Mrs. Troy. One episode, he's... You know, just being a kid hanging out with the young kid versions of them, one of them. Fair enough, he's with Worf during A Fistful of Datas, but that's just an excuse to get him into the holodeck, so that's kind of irrelevant. And you wouldn't even remember what he does in that episode, certainly I don't. And uh, yeah, I just, I don't know what, there was something. And then, you know, finishing off his appearances in Next Gen, effectively, with one of the single worst episodes of Star Trek. Which is the whole, future Alexander wants you to be a warrior so you can save Worf, otherwise he's going to No, just shut up. What are you doing? It just got rid... That was when, you know, season seven does this a lot, but it's when things just get too ridiculous because it's like, we've had seven seasons. What have we not done yet? You know, (laughs) but uh, yeah, it doesn't really work for me. But having said that, I actually like the... For the most part, I like what they did in DS9 because it was an interesting thing for me that like Alexander was reacting in a lot of the ways that the audience were and that he should, which is like, Dad, why exactly do you seem more... Like, I'm, you know, an annoyance to you when I'm supposed to be your son and you just keep shipping me off to your human parents and shit. And it's like, you know, parent me. I'm here, dude. <laughs> um, so that first episode I liked because he was seeing all the right stuff and it was kind of cool. And it was nice to see this blend of wanting to be a Klingon, but he's been raised by humans, even though he is mostly Klingon. And But then again, even on DS9 for that episode and then certainly his next appearance, which again turned out to be his last, but at Wolf and Jadzia's wedding, they just leaned too heavily into oh, it turns out this guy's a klutz, which is just like, that's that's not the point of the guy. The, the point is to say, like, not everybody might be as cling on, but there, is their heart still the same? Or do they deserve respect and stuff? And then you immediately just, you know, undercut that or just do something proper with it. But I did like that actor, and I like that they tried something. But, yeah, ultimately, I'm going to have to, though, go amiss. Like I said, the fact that they barely acknowledge the character, and then certainly any time post- DS9 season 6, whatever it was. Anytime after that you see Worf, it's, it's not even mentioned. I mean, we make a lot of jokes in our Picard review that, you know, it's, it's all about legacy and the various children of the crew, and Wolf just doesn't even bring up Alexander, not once. So, yeah, so a yeah, miss for me.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think the writers are symptomatic of Worf as a character in that neither of them knew, you know, none of them knew what they were doing with him. Yeah, uh, they didn't know what to do with him. <sighs> yeah, oh god. Yeah, I, I do have fond memories of that period, but ultimately it didn't really pan to anything. So I think I'm just going to have to go with a a, a very very soft
0: miss. Oh, fair enough. That gives us the consensus of miss. Then I thought you would have went here to try and counteract it, but no, keep... no. <laughs> that's fair enough um yeah okay well as i say you clearly were a softness so there's things you like and there's things i like about even the things that i will see are a miss i certainly am never here going this is crap and it's not real canada whatever so certainly don't get that indication audience especially if you're new you should know you know that's that's not what we're here for we even things we dislike have moments that uh, that make them work and hopefully we give justification but enough of that disclaimer the last thing for today is not Klingon related uh but it is an episode it's an episode of voyager so you might not remember it. Uh, it is the uh, the season four finale hope and fear. Would you call that a hit or a miss?
1: Oh, this is the uh, the one with the Prometheus, isn't it?
0: The Dauntless, but I see what you're saying. Dauntless,
1: yeah. Uh with uh, Ray Wise, yeah.
0: Ray Wise is our tourist, that's right,
1: yeah. Yeah, I only really remember this. I, I I can't strangely enough, this is one that whenever I put whenever I used to put the TV on and it was Voyager, it was usually this one. Uh (laughs) right. Yeah. Uh I kinda like it. It's I was you know, I'm a big fan of Ray Wise. Uh I like what they did. Uh I think it's I think it's decent enough. Uh without going into it too much. It's you know you can either come away from it thinking he's a prick or feeling genuinely sorry for him and i do genuinely feel sorry for him he's his uh yeah. motivations weren't exactly honorable but uh when you're in that much grief you you know you don't necessarily have control of your own actions so i kind of like it it's it's not my favorite episode by a by a long way and i hate that you know we'll probably disagree on this i don't like the ship design especially that bridge <laughs> Uh, okay, <laughs> but yeah, for me, it's 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 a hit. It's not you know outstanding, but it's a it's a it's a mid level hit.
0: Okay, um, yeah. Weirdly enough, I love this episode <laughs> personally. Um, I, I I'm, I'm going to try and think of the reasons why and label them. First of all, you've kind of exemplified one of them, which is I love that it actually provides a discussion, and it's a discussion about an episode that happened literally the opposite end of the season, like the start of the season, because I'm so used to everything Trek, certainly in that era being episodic and nothing coming back around. So I was genuinely like fascinated and loved that it had the debate of like, okay, but when Janeway made the alliance with the Borg to destroy Species 8472, how would that have affected everyone else? You know, so, you know, you've got to look at these things. And yes, Janeway is fair enough and has a point of like, there wasn't really time to take a poll. We had to take decisive action and I did what was the best thing at the time. And, you know, You might well have done the same. Certainly, it was not intended with any malice, and we did what we had to do. But likewise, like I said, it's a fascinating concept that Star Trek doesn't explore enough. That's like, yeah, but what about all of the things we don't see? How do things affect them? You know? So it was good to have that angle. Um, And the fact that that was something that they played as a surprise, I remember the first time I watched this genuinely being surprised by it. And I should have been annoyed because of the disappointment of, like, oh, they're not getting home again. It's something else. But because of the way they did it and the, the way that, like you said, they gave Arturus that character of like, no, I've created this fake ship and everything to basically trap you because F you, <laughs> you yeah. you are allying with the Borg basically got my entire planet wiped out. Um, but then again, there's moments in the episode that, again, it, it's great that it prompts discussion, but I don't agree with them in general. Uh, the first one being Arturus's thing of like, I'm not mad at the Borg because you don't, you know, they don't have a choice. They're acting with a collective instinct. It's like a force of nature screw that the other one's directly responsible dude yeah. you can't say you're not mad at them but you're mad at Janeway like that makes no sense whatsoever um, and secondly Janeway and well the writers mainly because I don't suppose she could do much but the writer's decision to literally have his fate be his worst nightmare like have him be assimilated I was like even if you have to kill him off don't do that to the poor guy yeah. Know I mean? Um so I didn't love that particular thing, but the rest I loved. Like I said, I love I, I personally love the Dauntless design, including the bridge and everything. Um I, I like the concept. Nothing, of, up, nothing else. <laughs> I love the idea of the slipstream and the fact that it is a thing that works that got them a bit closer to home. I like I said the, the the ins and outs of the plot. I like these the little character moments like Jane Wayne and Seven of Nine playing Velocity, I think it's called that weird phase of the disc game. Yeah. Um and I I think part of me liked the fact that it was a rare occasion where it was a Star Trek finale that wasn't like an epic part one of a two-part story. It was just like a conclusion to everything we'd done that season, and it ended with the characters developing and growing, and it didn't. It wasn't like, to be continued, what's going to happen? And I think it's the only season of Voyager, if I remember rightly, that doesn't yeah. end on a big cliffhanger as well. So, yeah, I appreciated it for that as well. So, yeah, uh, two hits. We'll see. Hope and Fear is a hit. So, whew, with that out of the way, then we're going to get into the main bulk of this episode, which is the first uh, Klingon episode, or Klingon-themed episode, review. And I'll pull the band-aid off and tell you the thing you all already know, which is that today uh, we are going to start, quite uh, you know, logically, uh, Spock would be proud, with the first appearance of the Klingons in the original series, uh, in the episode Errand of Mercy. Uh, so yeah, this is an episode of the original series of Star Trek and we'll get into it. But first of all, before I jump into any of that, DK, do you have any thoughts you wanted to share before I go into the behind the scenes to start us off?
1: No, no, go for it, Matt.
0: Uh Well, yeah, just, I have a few bits of information that I thought were pertinent or, or relevant or, or, you know, interesting, if they're not, apologies, but I'll be through it quick. So, yeah, first of all, the episode title comes from The Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens, uh, and the line, It is an Errand of Mercy which brings me here, pray let me discharge it. Uh, As I said, it makes sense for us to be starting with this episode because this is actually the first appearance of the Klingons in the entire franchise. Uh, If you're going by production, of course, not chronologically, that would be, I assume, Enterprise, but. We don't do things that way, so no. Uh, story editor Dorothy Fontana, who we've mentioned a few times on this show, DC Fontana, thought that the Klingons were made the regular adversaries of the series because they didn't need any special or expensive makeup like the Romulans, uh, whom she thought to be much more interesting. So, you know. You can agree or disagree. I did the maths because I was curious about the, in terms of, you know, Klingons compared to Romulans. The Klingons have seven total appearances in the original series, and the Romulans have two. But weirdly enough, the Romulans win when it comes to the animated series. The Romulans have three appearances and the Klingons only have two. So <laughs> I kind of consider the animated series to be, a, you know, a, a, an extension of the original, which is why I mentioned yeah. that and didn't go much further. Um, it's, this is, as a kind of ship nerd, this fascinated me that this is the first appearance of the Klingon D7, but only if you're watching the remastered version of the episode. Uh, in the original broadcast version, no Klingon ships at all were seen in the episode. They were always off screen. Uh, yeah. And as I mentioned, kind of alluding to in the uh, hit or miss section, the first appearance of the D7 class battle cruiser wasn't as a Klingon ship at all. It was a Romulan ship because their first appearance in the, uh, you know, the non-remastered episodes as broadcast was the Enterprise incident. It wasn't intended to be. It was supposed to be a of Troyes but that episode aired after the Enterprise incident. So even though there is still a line of dialogue in that episode of oh, they're using Klingon ship designs and such, it is weirdly the first appearance of them is as Romulan ships. So, which I find fascinating and just bizarre when I heard about it. So, yeah. Any thoughts, DK, on that one? Uh, yeah, the the
1: when I watched it today, I watched the. Uh... Original version, not the remastered one. Oh, well, I, I did the opposite, so that's interesting. Yeah, so it was like watching a ship battle take place with a, a magic eye painting. It's yeah. Like, yeah, it's coming from that direction.
0: We can't see it, but it's there. Yeah. I will say this: they, they still do that on the first battle, which I don't... It's a weird moment when they kind of have the fight and it's... They're getting shot at, and yet the ship seems to be quite weak, so it's immediately destroyed. And just like in the broadcast version, the remastered version just doesn't show you anything. It's just like, oh, there's an explosion. We, we destroyed it. We got them. There's just debris. And I was like, well, it might have been nice to see, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I will say the remastered version, of course, does also use much updated weapons effects with the various weapons firing between the Enterprise and the Klingons. The original used the photon torpedo stock effect to represent phasers, weirdly enough. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah did I, uh,
1: yeah, I was taking issue with that and before before Joel crept into my head.
0: <laughs> but yeah, the writer of the episode, I believe, if uh, apocryphy is to be believed, uh, had simply wrote to use stock footage of the Enterprise fighting from Balance of Terror and one other episode, that I can't remember, I think Arena maybe. So it is literally just recycled shots. So <laughs> in the uh, broadcast version, I said the remastered version is superior as is often the case but you know again your mileage may vary Uh, (laughs) clearly dk decided to watch the original (laughs) Um,
1: wait the last few times i've watched uh original series it's it's been the remastered versions Mm. so we're just talking about it today i thought what the hell i'll watch the original
0: i i find a lot of the originals i can't watch now that i've seen decent effects where they were previously known or they were weak some of them i will if it it was a a thing that affected me Like for example the tholian web i remember that being an effect i loved as a kid so seeing it look more polished i I just can't get away with really but you know a lot of them anyway different argument (laughs) but uh, let me carry on this was the first appearance of john colicos as core the character was set to reappear in Day of the Dove and the Trouble with Tribbles, but Colicos was unavailable and other Klingon characters were written in, as we know, became famous. Um, a script was written for Kor for the fourth season, but as we know, the show was cancelled after the third and he never got his chance to appear again. Kor did appear in the animated series episode The Time Trap, which again we'll review later, uh, but he was voiced by James Doohan, as with 99.9% of the yes. animated characters. <laughs> uh, Colicos was also the person who gave the Klingons their dark-skinned moustache look. He said he was going for the and i quote here genghis khan look uh, makeup artist fred phillips agreed and conceived the klingons in that fashion colacos uh, did eventually reprise the role of core in deep space nine in three episodes blood oath the sword of calus and once more unto the breach in which he sported the updated prosthetic klingon design um there we go. This is one of only two episodes that show an actual Klingon flip top communicator. You can see it when Core contacts his fleet. It's similar to, but smaller than the Starfleet version. The only other appearance is Elan of Troyes. It appears that Core uses texting and wireless telemetry, possibly one of the first uses of the now common wireless technology in any film or TV media, which I personally found fascinating. I always love to see, you know, wow, they predicted yeah. technology. Um The main gate to the Organian village where Aelborn greets Kirk and Spock was previously the gate to the Rigel Seven castle in the cage. (laughs) And the stairs on which Spock and Kirk face the Klingon guards are literally the same set that Christopher Pike battled the Kalar in the original pilot. So, Yeah. yeah, not the most expensive of things. The original series, as we know, so a lot of reuse of sets. Um, the ent- Speaking of which, the entrance to the Klingon headquarters is the same building as the main gate to the Oganian village. It's just filmed from a longer distance and with different angles. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, the scene where Kirk and Spock stun the guards and break into the Klingon headquarters was filmed in sunlight using a day for night filter. I was very relieved to read this because I thought it looked very weird. Maybe it's because I'm watching on Blu-ray and it's more evident in higher def. I don't know. But yeah, to me, it's, it looked like it was uh, the wrong time of day. Um, and finally, the view of the Citadel at the beginning of Act 1 is a stock footage shot, shot of the Citadel La Ferrière in Haiti. The script specified a matte painting was to be used, but the stock footage shot actually proved to be more cost-effective. So, yeah, continuing the theme of not spending a lot on this episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> so TV Nike T- by Ed Wood. <laughs> I mean, it was
1: 1966,
0: yeah. 67, so you can't blame him. Um, so, yeah. With that, any thoughts on the behind the scenes stuff or any, any sort of uh, things that you might have for us that are related to the production of the episode?
1: No, I've got, I got nothing. I, uh, I didn't know a lot of that. So
0: yeah, cheers, like that
1: uh, like the Romulan thing earlier, cheers for that.
0: No problem at all. Awesome. i, I say that's the thing I like to uh, include a little bit that might be of interest to viewers. Even if you're hardcore Trekkies, you might not know that stuff. And there was a couple of things there I didn't know that I was pleased to learn or fascinated. Uh, right so um the way that we do our reviews then again if you happen to be a new listener or watcher is that we break down into sections instead of being like a a breakdown of the episode which we find a little dull you've hopefully seen the episode we're not going to break it down scene by scene and do a recap we split it into sections that we talk about so it starts with like acting then goes into direction vfx sound and music uh you know things like that as as we'll kind of we'll get to them as we go and instead of being a chronological list of events uh, it can just dot about and go to anything to do with the episode or things that we think are worth talking about and let the conversation flow naturally in that way. Uh, so hopefully you'll get uh, the impression and the idea as we carry on. So DK, the first section that I have to look at is uh, is the acting. Are you happy to do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. And uh, yeah, we'll start with you because I feel like I've been talking for a long time. So uh, do you have any thoughts or notes on the acting in this episode in particular?
1: Well, I've got down that... Uh... Obviously, by concentrating on just Kirk and Spock, it uh, it gives them a, a chance to shine. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We do flip back occasionally to Sulu, but it's you know it's not really worth mentioning about. So the yeah. only two other characters really in this are uh, Aelborn and uh, yeah. John Colicos, and I I I do have to hand it to John Colicos. I think he he did a fantastic job with regards yeah. to this. He's you know he's, he pretty much mustache twirling but there's a a, a very shakespearean vibe to him he's not you know as a lot of klingons are later on he's not running around shouting and and that kind of stuff he is menacing he does come across as ruthless and i think he's an excellent foil for kirk in this and i think some of the scenes where it's just the two of them kind of facing off i think uh, it's it's some of the best stuff that, that that you get in the original series
0: Yeah, interestingly enough, I think that was the strength that I will probably mention again later, but I'll bring it up now. I think that is one of the strengths of the episode is the scenes between Kirk and Kor, or Kor, or however you pronounce it, (laughs) are are, are pretty good. And like you, I'm like, Kolokos has to be good because this is literally the the prototype of Klingons, you know what I mean? So they wouldn't have become as iconic as they are if it wasn't for this very first portrayal. Um, You know, he might not be the first one you actually see on screen, but he's the one that has actual dialogue and stuff to do. And uh, yeah, I mean, slightly iffy makeup decisions aside, the performance I think is 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 fascinating and compelling and you can see how it did kind of launch that. And I will say Colicos is, because I'm kind of such a nerdy Trekkie that's watched all of these a few times, Colicos is so recognizably core. Like he's so clearly the same character from DS9, even though yeah. in DS9 he's got like the extra prosthetic makeup and stuff on, which should make, and you know, he's aged obviously 20 yeah. or 30 years by that's that point right. as well. He's got the 80s hair yeah exactly yeah, the, yeah the, the hair metal hair he's, he's, yeah, he's got old metal he has yeah he's been, uh, been touring with uh, you know Van Halen at that point yeah. it? <laughs> but no like I, I, there's something in the way that Colicos portrays the character and the way he plays him that stays consistent throughout you know all of the appearances from TOS to ds 9 and that's that's really it shows I think the strength of that performance so yeah I think he's a very yeah. underrated character actor
1: I mean I only really know him in in my general sphere is for this and for uh Battlestar Galactica but right. uh, in this oh I, th- I just think he's brilliant but he it could have so easily failed the Klingons as a concept mm. just with as you say without his portrayal they could have just fallen flat on the faces I mean let's be completely honest Colicos is amazing the other Klingons in this they do come across a bit like extras from Rent-A-Ghost
0: yeah yeah very and i mean this that was one of the things i'll uh, i'll probably again i'll I'll mention it now because i had got it later on on the vfx and stuff they don't even make an effort to put any makeup whatsoever on the other klingons like not even you know controversial as it might be they don't even bother darkening the skin of half of them they're just clearly just white guy humans walking around in a uniform yeah (laughs) and it just feels like don't get me wrong the uniform design's great but it's like that's a klingon (laughs) like yeah you know at least as i'm saying even though it is controversial at least they tried something with core you know they gave him a, a slightly darker skinned look and a bit of a facial hair and stuff but like not even all the klingons in this have beards which is so weird because we're so used to it now it's kind of like yeah. i th- i think
1: when uh, when when i was young i i had seen a, a few episodes of the original series and then i saw say the motion picture mm. so when I finally got a chance to watch an episode of the original series and they were saying, oh, Klingons. Oh, Klingons, fantastic. And,
0: you know, they walk into the compound and I'm like,
1: they're not Klingons. What so you were, just,
0: you were the uh, the DS9 characters in Trials and Tribulations. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, uh, never quite understood that, by the way. It's not like Starfleet wouldn't have records from then. <laughs> they know, every, know all the human characters. They're going to know exactly. Klingons, but anyway, um, yeah. No, I think uh, in terms of the acting, I will say uh, to uh, to go back to, to John Colicos. I think it's a fantastic performance. And if you look at the Klingons aren't really the, they don't have a lot of the things that they would develop later on as character traits and as being, you know, themes, the whole uh, you know, honor and stuff. But Colicos, I think, puts a lot into his performance that people that would write that future stuff ran with. Because yeah. he does have the bravado and the overly like jingoistic pride in being Klingon. There is a nobility
1: to his performance that I don't think was in that original script, but I think it's something that he might have brought himself.
0: I think so, because the way Kirk describes the Klingons is kind of, it's a little bit different than the way Holocaust portrays him. Like, he portrays him a lot less brutally savage and kind of, you know, and controversial as it might be. I think this is one of the episodes where it benefits you to have Discovery as a prequel, because you kind of need some backstory for when Kirk's going like, we have legitimate grievances. The Kleons have done all of these stuff. And if you hadn't seen any of that, you could be kind of like, well, all right, but like what? But now we have the backstory of Discovery Season 1, and you're like, oh, yeah, they did some pretty sinister shit. Mm. <laughs> so these are legit grievances, as it turns out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, aside from that, like I said, Colokos also the, – the idea that he's just basically – Needling Kirk to get a response is such a cling-on thing as we understand it now. Yeah, that he's just like, oh, this guy wants an argument. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm here for it. <laughs> or uh, the disgust of the organians because they smile too much and they're too happy and just even the line of like Kirk. I, I think I like you because I like good honest hatred and the idea of like, oh, it would have been glorious if we if we'd fought and just. How happy he is when he finds out who Kirk, how Kirk is or who he is, the way that he just beeps and he's like, "Oh, the legendary Captain Kirk! Wow!" Yeah. <laughs> it's just very like, like see, you wonder how much of that was on the page and how much is like, "Colossus," just like this guy, he'd be happy to face another guy. <laughs> like, yeah, you
1: you do get that genuine sense of you know, glory hunter kind of thing that you would that you know becomes so prevalent in the Klingon culture later on.
0: Yeah, and I think it's notable because, like I said, there's moments where the Klingons aren't – what they do, to me, clashes way too much with what we know about Klingon culture, like the whole round up 200 people and kill them, then round up 200 more and kill them, and I'm like, not the most honourable of things to do. This does not strike me as Klingon, taking unarmed people and just basically wiping them out en masse to prove a point or to make a message, and I'm like – I don't buy that Klingons would do that. They, they might arm them and then make them fight to the death or something, but I can't imagine they'd think it was very honourable to just, you know, genocide a planet. <laughs> no. But, I mean, yeah. you know,
1: this very much was the prototype, and it's only 20 years past World War Two, So yeah. they're obviously yeah, yeah. drawing, you know, inspiration from...
0: Uh, well, yeah, and dictatorships throughout history. Yeah. Yeah, dictatorships where it was, you know, um, because that's even Kirk and Spock is like, we're going to be, we have to form the civil unrest. And you can look at Paul Pot or the likes back in history where it was like they they were doing that. If their people didn't like them being in charge, massacre them on mass, you know? Yeah. And uh, like you said, it, it it is ultimately at its core, it tries to be an allegory or to represent these things. And I think there is a bit of that as well in, in the Klingons, certainly in this episode. So it's interesting uh, for me anyway, I think it's very, very intriguing but um back to the acting then the only other kind of well the, the main other notable one would obviously be Shatner himself uh playing uh Captain Kirk so what did you make of, uh, of him in this episode
1: again I I think Shatner's before I mean Shatner is always known for hamming it up but I think his performance in this is quite understated he gets across his disgust at aleborn and he gets across his hatred of core and for the most part he's not the typical what someone would think of as shatner he's yeah. very understated he's he's not chewing the scenery he's you know i just think he, he he does a really good performance
0: yeah i think a lot of shatner in the original series is less like that, you know exaggerated version that some people realize and he has some great performances this i would say is one of my favorites because he's actually bringing something he, he knows what he's saying and he's bringing that to the role and he's just really great throughout and whether it's like the way this is such a little thing, but I made a note of it because again, I don't know if it's directional or if it was just a decision the actor made. But like when he says goodbye to the Organians and he makes like their version of a goodbye salute, but does it such like it's such a sarcastic like Mariner yeah. Vulcan salute? Like, ooh, I'm going bye. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing is kind of uh I was like, that's you, you, you see enough there without needing the dialogue, which does provide it later, which gets to be very on the nose, but he saw enough in that of, like, I'm so disgusted by you guys. Why won't you stand up and fight? <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh yeah. But, no, I think that's the thing. It's 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 so interesting what the episode does with Kirk and what Shatner then plays into, which is that it is just disdain with the Organians. And I think, as you were mentioning before we started recording, you find yourself relating because you're, you, you're equally frustrated, especially if you haven't seen the episode before, and you're like, oh, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing anything? And Yeah, and especially you know,
1: that scene where... Uh... Where, for want of a better term, Elbon kind of turns him in. You yeah. just think, "Oh Jesus!" Yeah, you 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 are pretty much swept
0: up along with Kirk in the emotion of the thing. Definitely, and I think it's interesting that, that before I get to the end part, which I think is relevant, it's interesting the characterization of Kirk here is very military and. i I know there are still people who argue the point of like starfleet's not a military organization blah blah blah. this episode would prove you very wrong yeah i mean because because he says you know he says i'm a soldier not a not a diplomat exactly Yeah. (laughs) yeah and that's my point but even like even in the characterization like when he's he's gonna get taken away by the klingons and the organians i think are you know oh we we can't believe this is happening captain and he says um i i've gotten used to the idea of dying but i have no desire to die for the likes of you Yeah. Just kind of like, again. Oh, I don't like pacifists. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. uh, It's something. uh, Something I mentioned to you about that I love about the episode uh, a while back. Actually, as I finished watching it a few days ago, is that it seems like the episode's ultimate message is that it spends the majority of the time going pacifists. What idiots! You can't live that way. It's just pie in the sky. And then Kirk at the end of the episode is like, "Why was I being such a jerk?" Like, I was really angry that they prevented a war that I didn't want to happen. Yeah. What was and that level of, even though it's only like the very last line, that level of introspection of like, geez, what a jerk I was. And I don't understand where that came from. You know, it's, mean? so, yeah. and again, it relates to the when, when even cause seeing like, yeah, we have, my, as he calls the minor ideological differences, <laughs> pretty big, but okay. But at the core, they're still, the same and i think there is a bit of that and kirk has to look at that human side and be like do Mm -hmm. i just am i just a little bit like you know oh why do i want to see people fight and stand up for themselves and is there a bit of that that's maybe unfair or unnecessary and i think to me that's the way i interpret the last Mm -hmm. line because it 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 baffles me for the longest time that they end it on you know oh the organians took ages to evolve but you might get there so You know, you've proved something great, but, you know, never mind. We beat the odds. And then Kirk says, oh, we didn't beat the odds. The Organians raided the game. And I'm like, hmm, what's the importance of that? And the importance that I see of that now is Kirk basically saying, I would have liked to get the chance to grow naturally and come to that conclusion myself. But instead, these A-holes basically interfered for me. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: I mean, right from the very start that you have that little exchange where he says, whoa, we didn't want it, but we've got it. And Spock mm. says, curious how often you
0: humans manage to obtain that which you do not want. Exactly, yeah. Although it always bugs me when Spock talks like that, because it's like, dude, you're half human. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you humans, you're one of us, dude. Come on. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But no, I think uh, that's that's the key, I think, is this Shatner and Kolokos' performances. Um, but, I mean, there is a whole other cast here. So I will say, just to get them out of the way, uh, Leonard Nimoy is fantastic, reliable as always, as Spock. I do love
1: the little looks that Spock gives every now and again throughout Mm. this
0: episode. Yeah. And even though I'm not one of them myself, I will say there's a good moment here for Spock shippers, people that think of Kirk and Spock as a couple, which is when calls like, um, I'll take your friend away and dissect him and everything. And Kirk's like, no, not Spock. Yeah. (laughs) That's the worst thing you could do. (laughs) um, You can't see where they
1: got that subtext from.
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, throughout the original series, I can see where that subtext came from. It veers rapidly into text in many occasions, let me tell you. Um, But, yeah. So, no, I mean, I I liked... I think Nimoy, as I said, is is doing the Spock thing, doing it brilliantly for for all his limited role that he has. Um, It's nice seeing George Takei and Nichelle Nichols, and they're serviceable. They don't have anything to really do. Although I do like Takei's kind of... the, The seriousness that it puts on the situation, the way Kirk gives him the lecture, and then the way he kind of has to command the ship i think you do get in those few very small scenes his sense of like responsibility and like oh this is on me kind of thing you know um so i'll give him credit for that and i will say yeah the organians obviously the other major thing being the guest stars i think they do a very good job but i would say that they're kind of let down by the script in that i never like scripts that are just like this could be solved with a conversation but you won't do it and so you just sound annoying yeah and so they kind of can't get past me that they're just annoying, and I'm just like, just tell him who you are. What is the what's all this fannying about? Of like, oh, don't worry about us, Captain. We're telling you, don't worry, we'll be fine. Don't you know? Oh, why if I back you no need to worry? We're gonna, we don't need any weapons, we're all good. Like, just tell him then. Yeah. <laughs> stop being, you know, stop being enigmatic about it and just out with it for flips. <laughs> so, so, yeah, but then again, as you say, I think part of that is supposed to be that way, like in the plot you're meant to be, like, oh, these people are really annoying. <laughs> so yeah um so any other thoughts from you on any of the actors and uh, stuff because i've kind of Uh, uh, i think the
1: the main ones which are are the four kirk spock uh colicos and uh, you'll have to forgive me the the name of the guy that played ale i think they're all decent well well i do agree with you on the fact that you know it it could have solved a lot of problems had they just told them at the beginning i think that's more down to the writing than obviously the performance
0: yeah i think that's the thing I, I mean that's what i've written is that the writing is what lets the organian performers down because they have to be kind of annoying um but yeah it does there's no real explanation given so you can't play why are we like this because there is no reason ultimately is
1: there? no mm. but i mean the, the writing sometimes is a bit of a head scratcher when you know especially in the context of star trek hmm
0: Yeah, in what what way? Because we're going to talk about um, acting.
1: What the the hell? Yeah, it's... Organia is a place that, uh, you know, could be used as a a staging area for the Klingons, okay? But they go there, they've got no idea about the Organians by the very fact of the reaction from uh, Kirk and Spock and when Spock comes out later and says they're an arrested culture. Mm. And you just wonder what... Personally, I was just thinking, what what the hell happened to the prime directive here?
0: Yeah, somebody in the audience interaction did mention that, so I'll bring it up later. But yeah, it's it's clearly written at a time before the prime directive was really a thing. Because <laughs> yeah. But then again, I mean you have to kind of think of it as is it that thing of, you know, at times of war the laws fall silent? Because it's like the Klingons wouldn't have cared. So that's the kind of had
1: something to say about
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> But um but no, I mean that's the thing is that it kind of feeds into what happens in I think it's a private little war where it's like, okay, this planet are primitive and we shouldn't interfere, but the Klingons have already given them weapons, so like what what are we supposed to just not do anything about that? you know
1: yeah because
0: <laughs> they don't have the prime directive, and it's the kind of fact of like they would use this planet as a staging ground no matter what. And Kirk and Spock aren't they're not giving them super advanced tech or whatever. they're just like, we'll teach you how to fight back. Because you have to, otherwise they're going to basically you'll be living under their occupation. Yeah, but they just... they're going to introduce,
1: you know, they'll bring about schools and technologies and and, and
0: stuff like that. And you know, yeah. I'm sitting there going,
1: "What?"
0: January would be yeah. having a fit. Um, but no, I mean, I get what you're saying, and I think it is. It feeds into that idea of it's it's the allegory idea of you know cultures that were being oppressed and. You know, at what point is it is it logical or, or moral for us supposedly more advanced civilizations to step in and be like, we're arming you because you, you're you being run by dictators and we need you to have civil people to, you know, call civil unrest and stand up and fight back. and But like you said, as soon as you consider the prime directive or what would be it, you're just left thinking, because huh? I'm sure Kirk does offer them to join the federation literally. And it's like, really? What would they contribute, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those weird things, isn't it? Because like I said, it, re- it relates to like Pike literally does exactly that in the first episode of Strange New Worlds. And we're kind of fine with it, which is like, OK, you're That's backwards, true. but you've been infected now by this idea anyway. So just join the Federation. And everyone's like, yeah, OK. <laughs> sure. um, so, yeah, this, this moment, the frame directive is very weird just generally when it comes to Trek. It only seems to count when they want it to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, the actor, by the way, who played Alebourne is John Abbott, if anybody was curious and to give him his props. (laughs) But yeah, so uh, yeah, we've we've kind of already started. But moving on then with the writing and the plot, um, is there anything else that uh, that springs out other than the whole, you know, what happened to the prime directive thing? I
1: I do like and I think it works in the script's favour that, as we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of it's almost a kind of bottle episode in certain scenes where it's a Mm -hmm. two hander between Kirk and uh, Core and they're just describing obviously what goes on outside such as a you know rounding up of the 200 and killing them and all you hear is the sound effects and yeah i know it's you know it's just done for budgetary reasons but i think it works a lot in the context of this episode because you're that enthralled with the two performances that are going on in front of you yeah. it's almost it's, it's
0: it's almost like a stage play yeah in ways yeah but i think that's again it's probably for budget reasons so it's not a deliberate choice but i think it works in the regard that that's where these things are being decided and that's what's the important thing it's like the soldiers that are killing 200 people aren't deciding to do that they're being told that by a higher power and there's like a for want of a better way there's a chain of command like a rank structure which i think even comes in in the line at the end when i believe it's core says something like just think the fate of the entire galaxy is being decided above us. And I was like, there's an interesting double entendre there because you say above us meaning in space, but you could also literally mean people who outrank us in terms of decision-making. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that's, a, that's the thing is like, it's showing you right now, it comes down to what happens between Kirk and Cole there and then, and that's ultimately going to decide the fate seemingly of Organia, but ultimately of what happens between the Klingons and the Federation. Now that the war has been declared mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah so no i think it's a very interesting way of looking at it like that because all wars genuinely do when you think about it start with two people having a disagreement of some kind you know on a on a micro level so fascinating stuff um anything else no that's that's pretty much what i've got right i have a few things because i tend to kind of make notes as the episode plays out um the first note that i made before i started watching just from memory is oh wow it's that good old original series staple the non-corporeal magic being DSX ex Machina again <laughs> so, <laughs> don't love that and uh yeah it would be a lot more impactful if the original series hadn't done that and returned to that well so bloody many times think of the number of episodes that end i mean arena with the metrons or squire of gothos with his Cat's things Catspaw. It was constantly, oh, Charlie X, that was the other one. It was always like, we are above you and beyond you and non-corporeal, but our, you know, we have to intervene now in some way, but yeah, Yeah. it it lacks impact because it's all the time. And the fact that you have Spock going, like fascinating, pure energy, like nothing we've ever seen before. Dude, you saw something like that like three weeks ago. I guarantee it. (laughs) If I go back and look at the episode order, I'm telling you now, you will have seen something very like it. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Anyway, uh, I do like that the episode basically starts off with them being given the mission right away. There's no preamble or anything. It's like literally, go to Organia, it's a disputed planet, end of. You don't have any mucking about with exposition. Um, And again, as much as we point out that Star Trek can work as allegory, sometimes it does feel the need to punch you in the face with what it is. So the line about uh, Organia is another Armenia, and it's always the weak innocents that suffer in war. I'm like... Yeah, all right. Come on. <laughs> you don't need to literally spell it out for us. This isn't Sesame Street. But uh, yeah, as you mentioned, that line is great about you know war. We didn't want it, but we've got it. Curious how often you humans find etc. You've already bigged that up. Um, I like, as I've said, I've already mentioned the way Kirk uh, sells the seriousness by the way he talks to Sulu and like you know the, your priority is the Enterprise. If anything goes down, get the Enterprise out of there. Get help. Get the fleet. Don't worry about us. And I'm like, oh, this is, again, very good scripting because it gives you the seriousness. But there's a reason for Kirk to be saying that. But it also gets across to you as the viewer. Oh, you know, (laughs) excrement is hitting a fan here. (laughs) Uh, I I wish that I could watch this episode because I can't really remember watching it the first time. But I do wish that I could watch it for the first time and see how the mystery plays out. Because I find that there's an awful lot, again, of hand-holding of moments like, um, oh, the Klingon ships are here. Oh, they've beamed down. How do you know? And I'm like, do you need that it just seems like and also how stupid does it make kirk and spock look that they're not picking up on this kind of thing <laughs> they're just dismissing it as how do you know oh well never mind <laughs> i I, to, I mean i watched this
1: when i was very young i can remember feeling surprised at obviously you know what the organians turned out to be that I don't that i can't remember that registering
0: mm. It does happen a few times, though, because even when they're when they free them from the jail cell and uh, Kirk and Spock say, what did you do to the guards? And they'd literally say in that kind of smug way, we didn't do anything at all. <laughs> and yeah. Like, huh? And then when they say, oh, they've killed 200 people. I trust. Trust me, Captain. Nobody's been hurt. No one has died. <laughs> no one has died. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> this is just me being a bit cheeky. But I did. I kind of did have to stop when they had the line about when calls. You know, t- uh, having a go at Kirk and says, "Ah, oh, you have a tongue. We'll teach you how to use it." Ooh, <laughs> like, w- w- uh, yeah, I, will I, you now?
1: <laughs> My my sick brain did uh, did think the same.
0: <laughs> it's too obvious. Maybe it's the way we are as a society that nobody in the '60s would think like that. But that was just kind of like <laughs> raised eyebrow. <laughs> will you now? <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't know what to think about the concept of the the mind sifter or ripper, as, as Core calls it, because. It only really ever appears and gets mentioned in this episode. And again, it doesn't seem to me remotely like something the Klingons would do. It's not a Klingon thing. It's not honorable. Um, and I just really find it distasteful. Again, yes, it's the 60s, different times, etc. But I find it distasteful the number of times Core says, oh, Kirk, it will leave you a vegetable. You don't want to live like that, blah, blah, blah. Because I'm like, dude, come on. That's just, yeah. <laughs> you know, and also learn how to pronounce the word vegetable. Don't don't try and give it extra syllables. You know you will be a vegetable, Captain. (laughs) No, I like I didn't really appreciate that. And it turns out to be it's such a weird part of the episode because it's such a nothing. It exists as like a an ethereal threat. But like even when Spock is you know off screen subjected to it, he turns up and it's like, oh, turns out, Captain, I'm fine. Vulcans can deal with it. I'm like, then what was the point in that? (laughs) You just You've immediately killed any potential tension. Like, you could have had the scene be Spock turns up and looks a bit out of sorts and Kirk's worried about him, but he literally walks in fine and, you know, everything's yeah. all right. It didn't do anything, so why bother having it in the first place? Yeah. Um, yeah, it seemed very weird. It was like, we need to write something that seems like a huge threat, but they didn't quite think it through. Um, again, in terms of, like I said, the the, the real-world allegories, inspiring is it terrorism or is it, you know, freedom fighting civil forces versus the occupying forces? <clears throat> the Klingons calling democracy a minor ideological difference. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's, let me see, what have I got? I've already mentioned that the way the Klingons are and aren't like they should be. <laughs> I made a very uh, sarcastic joke about, yes, Spock is overly accurate with stats and odds. Yeah, ha, ha, ha. Because by this point we're so used to that that when that happens, it's instead of being funny, I just roll my eyes. <laughs> I, I
1: I don't know. I, I did like the way it was delivered in this one. Did you? Yeah. Uh, hmm,
0: fair enough. No, I, I think maybe I would have if it hadn't been the fact that we've been exposed to it so much. Yeah. And if it was I the first that, time I it was happening. That's yeah. what it
1: is. I mean, when you when you think about it, yeah, this was season one.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I like, again, for all the kind of you know bloodthirsty seemingness of Kirk and being a soldier and stuff, I do like that he points out he won't kill Kor unless he has to, which I think is a really crucial and key moment uh, for the episode and, and the Federation in general, frankly. Again, this this is something that didn't jive with me, was the Klingon saying, you know, the reason we're strong is because we're a unit, so we keep everyone, even the highest people, under surveillance. I was like, first of all, the first part of that sentence makes you sound like the Borg, And second of all, there's nothing particularly honourable about, like, we're going to watch you all the time because we don't trust you, kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That that seems
1: more like a Romulan trait.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And a lot of the things, I think, in this do, like, I can imagine the mind sifter even being more of a Romulan kind of thing, you know, threaten them with taking away their very minds or whatever. But anyway, Um, I do like, again, this is quite telling and it might be a reference to the way humanity is in real world terms that even when everything becomes literally too hot to handle, Kirk and Cora still arguing over rights and legitimate grievances and things, <laughs> rather than focusing on, like, dudes, come on, there's something more important happening here. It, it, um, I do
1: like how, you know, they almost kind of become bedfellows in, in a way, and they're reduced to almost tantrum-throwing children.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the point. that's why Kirk kind of does feel ashamed when he gets back to the Enterprise and kind of like why was I having issue with them stopping a war that's it. that's a good thing you know um but yeah it's a, it's a discussion and a half that you could have which this episode doesn't have the time to but like if you're taking away the free will it's not good but you're preventing war so yeah yeah again it's an interesting thing that Trek would explore later but this wasn't the episode for it and that's fair enough you know yeah, uh, yeah. I, again things that don't sit well with me or make a lot of sense in the writing the organians didn't want to interfere. Like okay, then why did you bother with this affectation, as you call it in the first place, of being a society and looking like people? And you know, you didn't need to be there. So you you interfered. You made yourself relatable to them. I don't get it. <laughs> you know, or that, then the fact that they say, oh now please be gone. We find the presence of beings like you distasteful. You haven't shown it. You've been smiling the entire episode. We've seen no signs of disgust from you whatsoever. So yeah either they just bs a lot or they didn't really know what they were doing there um we have to kind of mention the fact that core says yes eventually the federation and klingons will be fast friends and form an alliance cuz yes it happens we as trekkies know this yeah <laughs> awesome so yeah and uh, yeah i do kind of like the idea as i said of the idea the concept of these beings are so above us we're like an amoeba to them they've more evolved and it would be great except that it's one of so like a dozen easy influence uh, instances of this sorry in the original series so it lacks that impact but, uh, yeah so moving on to direction then um any thoughts from you on that particular area high ups set up shots where for example
1: when as I mentioned earlier the Klingons are walking into the compound right uh, but uh, there wasn't anything particular outstanding in this one to me
0: right fair enough I think parts of it are very, what's the word I'm looking for, like um, standard, almost work day. You know, there's just the obvious person to person shots when they're talking and stuff. But there were some things I noticed. I will say I've kind of mentioned it in terms of the writing, but it's also true of the direction. I like that the episode starts very fast and snappy and hits the ground running because there's no waiting around. There's no like scene of life on the ship beforehand. It's just straight into, oh, where, you know, this is our mission. And then. Seconds later, our crap are under attack. I will say, I like the scenes of Kirk and Spock sneaking around because it's obvious throughout the episode that they're, you know, the Organians' affectations don't do much other than provide you a paramount soundstage, C or whatever. But they do make the most of the space they've got when they're sneaking around, and it looks like they're trying to talk quietly and then hide what they're saying when they come across the Klingons. And then Kirk almost gets into a fight with that Klingon guy, and Spock has to stop him. And I'm like, You've directed this really well, considering you have like a, what, like a 10 foot stretch of just straight straw (laughs) I guess to walk on. So I appreciated that. Um, I think the explosions when they do their little, you know, act of civil disobedience are really good. And I I know they're simplistic and not much. But when you think, again, it's 1960s television, that was probably a huge deal and most likely the most expensive thing in the episode. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love the way the direction reveals that Kor's listening in on them when Kirk talks to the Organians. Cause I really, I, I remember that being a shock at the time and it still always is when the way it cuts to it. And I'm like, Oh crap, he's listening. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned uh, already, and you've said the same, the scenes of Kirk and core talking are just captivating and very well handled. And that is mainly the acting, but obviously in part the direction, cause it's like you're directing, as you said, like a play or something. So it makes those scenes cool. Um, like uh the, the dynamic kind of the way Kirk and Spock sweep in with their weapons when they when they kind of turned the tide. Um but there's a couple of weird shots towards the end here, including a, a bizarre shot that lingers on the cabinet where their faces are being held. And yeah. Yeah, I don't that. And um when they've kind of done their business, the Organians, and you're going back to their reactions. Anytime it cuts to a reaction shot of core, it's the same extreme close-up At an angle shot, and there doesn't seem to be any reason for it, and it's just jarring when it happens. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, But yeah, the last thing I have to say, and it kind of feeds into VFX, I suppose, but I've written it here is, I do like the way that it reveals the organians, the kind of light show and their non corporeal, corporeal ball things. And I know that the version I watched was the enhanced effects, and it does have a difference, like it is supposedly enhanced, but all it stays remarkably true to what it looks like in the version you watched anyway. So. Yeah, so I'm curious what you think of that in the uh, the broadcast episode. Uh,
1: it it was decent enough. I mean, there was nothing that you just thought, oh, dear. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it looked pretty good.
0: Fair enough. Cool. Um, so do you have any – it would be the next section, but we'll race to it. Any thoughts on the VFX in the episode? Uh,
1: well, I mean, obviously, I got the one with the majority of the stock footage. So, as you mentioned, with regards to direction, it was very – you know, workaday with the uh, mm. the photon torpedoes being used for phasers, and yeah, it uh, it was okay. It was just your typical Star Trek episode. It's nothing that we'd not seen a hundred times before. The I, uh, yeah. like you, I did think the uh, the opening skirmish was a little, huh?
0: Underwhelming, uh, Yeah, <laughs> very yeah. yeah.
1: So, but other than that, it was it was okay. I mean, as I say, the Organians looked all right. Uh, there was nothing for the for the majority of the piece there was nothing that you know necessitated a great deal of special effects and i i i, I do think again like i said with the uh, with regards to the uh things happening off screen i do think it worked in the in the show's favor in that regard
0: yeah i will say since it's, it's kind of relevant i'll bring up this point here that i do think this is an instance where the enhanced you know remastered version vastly improves on the original and is the superior version and if you haven't seen it do seek it out Uh, it's one of those episodes that i think is the reason why it exists and and why it's it's not the same like some detractors might think of it as like george lucas tinkering with the star wars movies kind of thing and it's definitely not that it stays remarkably close to what you've seen except it puts things that should have been there had they had the time and money in the episode and i do think it benefits that you see the you know the d7 battlecruisers and you see an actual non-stock fight going on and stuff so yeah and then as you said the organian effect is slightly tweaked and and made to look better um but on a related subject it's not really vfx but i guess it is around the production of the episodes i will say the costuming of everybody on here um the klingon costumes in particular i think are you know brilliant such a great design to start off because it's it's often the only thing that makes them look alien if they're just dudes walking around without makeup um but then also the organians and even Kirk and Spock's disguise outfits, which happened to be the same color as the Starfleet uniforms, kind of thing. Um, yeah, all just they, they did a great job of costuming everyone here. So I wanted to shout that out to that department. And uh, yeah, <clears throat> so the next, uh, the kind of last thing, other than anything else, uh, the anything else section uh, would be the music and the sound in this episode. And I know you're you're kind of a music head, I believe. So what did you think of that? I did like. I mean, obviously
1: like with pretty much like with this special effects there's a lot of stock uh mm. it's not scoring here but it works really well uh yeah. i think in in those later scenes I, I i can't you know i couldn't name the motif but uh i always refer to it as the genesis one it's like the same kind of you know when the seasons are changing on genesis in trek three it's a play oh, on okay. that uh yeah I, I I do like Courage's music in these episodes.
0: Yeah, I I love the music of this episode. Like you, it's it doesn't stand out in the regard. It shouldn't, because otherwise, it's doing something wrong. The music is meant to enhance, not you know <laughs> distract you. <clears throat> but if you're listening out for it, as as I do when I review these things, there's some really great musical cues in the episode. Yeah, and um, particularly the way that it works with the uh, again building up the tension as Kirk and Spock are like approaching, ready to attack, and then you know, you get that almost nervous feeling and it immediately cuts once they've shot the Klingon to bombastic, like, Oh no, <laughs> now things are going down kind of music. And it's like, it's it's doing a really good job of selling this on top of the acting and the direction. The music's actually making it feel like giving it that gravitas, I guess. So yeah. Plus it's just cool. So a lot of the kind of cues and stuff just sound really good. <laughs> so awesome. So then, uh, the next uh, thing would be any other things you have. I have no other notes, so do you have any? <laughs> no, I've I've got nothing. That's fair enough. That was just a you know a catch-all type thing. So, so yeah, uh, the next thing then would be for us to give our favourite character moment in line, which is another thing we've started doing uh, the last couple of series. A spark analysis. So, uh, as I say, we'll start with you, DK, because we don't have a guest to come to. So, who was your favourite character in this episode and why? I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go with Kirk, uh, because you
1: see a lot of the the kind of situation through Kirk's eyes, and I think it's a credit to Shatner, as I said earlier, that he gives such an understated performance in this. Uh, yeah. he reacts, I believe, like you know, hand on heart, most of us would, and, and you know, <laughs> like,
0: it's uh, it's weird you say that because my favorite character was also Kirk. And one of the main notes that I've made is just the word relatable. Um, yeah. I think it is. It, he's relatable in ways that Kirk often isn't when he's being portrayed as like the superhuman alpha male, you know, ultimate hero type, which he isn't here. He's kind of he's doing his best and he's he's failing at the mission in a lot of ways. He's out of his depth because he doesn't. He's not comfortable being a diplomat and he's not convincing them in his mind to fight back or anything. So. And again yeah you can relate to the way he feels in in the annoyance and then you hopefully you relate to the end of like I'm kind of ashamed of myself why was I being upset at pacifism kind of thing so yeah, yeah I think uh, he just seems very human and I like that he does learn that lesson at the end of the episode as well um so yeah Kirk as well for me <laughs> um and what was your favorite moment in the episode
1: I do like that fi- I do like that final scene where you've had the entire yeah. episode of Kirk and Cor just facing off against each other and now they are like two siblings that are being told off by a parent, and they're just like <laughs>
0: incredulous at what's going on. Yeah, that is a good scene, but it wasn't the one that I chose for my favourite moment or scene, which I, I picked the kind of the first intense scene between Kirk and Core in Kor's office, as they're, you know, going back and forth, and Kirk's, I think at that point, he's either still pretending to be Organian, or, you know, the ruse has just dropped, but It's just, there's not that much in terms of like what they're actually saying, but they're saying so much with the subtext and the way they're acting off each other. And uh, as you said, it's kind of like, it's like watching two great actors in a stage play in in a scene, you know? So that was my personal favourite moment of the episode. Um, Yeah. So what would be your favourite line in that case?
1: There are a lot of good lines. And Mm. it's kind of a cheat going for this one, because I know you don't like it, but I do love the difficult to be precise captain i should say approximately seven thousand eight hundred twenty four point seven to one and kurt going difficult to be precise yeah <laughs> i get it but like i said it's such a it's such yeah, a we've had it so many times since then that it's yeah. become you know it would become blase about it but
0: i i i did like how it was delivered it's definitely fair i get it um my favorite line is, it's a slight exchange rather than a single person's line, but it's the way Kirk says, we have the right, and is then cut off by Airborne saying, to wage war, Captain, to kill millions of innocent people, to destroy life on a planetary scale. Is that what you're defending? Because I was like, wow, that really is like, you know, why did Star Trek have to get all woke in 2017 and never was before? Yeah. <laughs> Uh,
1: They've never watched an episode, have they? (laughs) It
0: really does just show they either never got an an episode or they don't have the comprehension skills to understand what they were being told. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, we we will get back to our ultimate conclusion and score at the end, but uh, we do always throw it up open to you, the uh, viewing or listening audience, to give what you think about the episodes we're reviewing, and we did get a pretty good response in the end for this episode. Uh, So without any further ado, we are going to go into the subspace communications.
1: Incoming transmission.
0: The first one of these is from Adrian on our Discord, and who you'll have heard throughout the channel and uh, our other podcast. Adrian says... Uh, those who say Star Trek is too political these days never understood this episode, <laughs> because it's pure democracy versus authoritarianism. John Kolikos, as core, the first Klingon we meet, is deliciously manipulative to a group he sees as weak, and it reminds me of Pol Pot in a way. I love his interactions with Kirk, though, and Jadzia later, of course. Definitely a hit. Favourite line? Fools. Will I have to kill them all? Um... <laughs> Yeah, she says, uh, I listened to it as I was working and the music is spectacular. Although the sets, not so spectacular. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I loved the whole, ah, well, you seem like a feisty little argumenter. I shall make you the liaison aspect as well. Uh, I love how they banded together in the end. Our friendship in the face of powerful entities gets me every time uh and it's funny to think there are folks who thought star trek was a one-off and probably laughed at people who took it seriously but on the other hand even i had a chuckle at spock's outfit they had him in while quote unquote in disguise and ultimately i give it a 7.5 out of 10 thank you for that adrian um let's see these are mostly i think going to be from the uh, various facebook groups and such so again thanks if you contributed always grateful for any feedback uh, michael adam goodwill says i personally love the episode call was a brilliant adversary to kirk organians passiveness was deliberately written to be frustrating for the payoff in the end shame they have never been revisited properly in future episodes of the franchise okay uh, timothy jackson says a fine episode for certain the mystery of the organians is interesting but does the masquerade go on for too long i think this would have been an interesting episode to revisit if some ends at some point uh, if the show had continued past season three the organians ultimately establish a peace. however DC Fontana wrote a few comics where the Organians decide to withdraw and let Starfleet and the Klingon Empire take care of themselves. So the big question is, would that have been addressed if the show had stayed on the air? All that aside, though, this is a fine, if not strange, introduction to the Klingons. Kenneth Armstrong says, it's one of my favorite episodes. It is quite literally the episode that started me out as a fan of Klingons and especially Core. Fair enough. Uh, This is quite a detailed one, but it's from uh, Bradford Pilcher, who was the only person that commented on uh, Mastodon for us. Uh, He says, it's obviously a cornerstone episode of Trek, and there's plenty to love about it. That being said, there's a lot that, in hindsight, with the benefit of a more developed canon and characterization, that just feels off. The Klingons were not really envisioned as a culture in any way with any real point of view beyond mustache-twirling villains. A major flaw in the original series' depiction. Kirk, as a soldier, not a diplomat, is not something I imagine a Federation captain seeing, even in the TOS era. Kirk was certainly partly a soldier, but he was more cunning and diplomatic than a mere fighter. Certainly he was more soldier than Picard, uh, but it still rings us off in the world of Trek. Also telling them they could be wolves instead of sheep, I just don't know. Uh, Also, the Organians appearing on Earth and Kronos ending hostilities is pretty dang universe-changing. That would feel in-universe very much like Pearl Harbor or 9-11 did. It would fundamentally alter our understanding of the universe and certainly of galactic politics. The Klingon culture would have reacted very strongly that they were powerless against Organian abilities, but this is where the episodic nature of TOS left much to be desired. All of that said, it's still a very fun episode to watch. Ko isn't necessarily doing much to establish well, I disagree, what we'd later see in Klingon culture, but he has some great lines and is played to the hilt. Getting to see Sulu take the helm, not Scotty, uh, and just the different juxtaposition of the regular characters was interesting. Uh, it is ironic that the Klingons, who would later get elaborate makeup, were selected as primary TOS antagonists because their makeup was simpler than the Romulans. Uh, DC Fontana was right that the Romulans were more interesting, at least in the original series, so it's a shame they weren't explored more. That the script just described Klingons as oriental hard-faced, shows how shallow and borderline racist their depiction was at the beginning. Yeah, can't disagree with that one. Um, yeah, Um Still uh, over on various other Facebook groups, Marina Sinning, uh, sorry, I... Marina Sinning, possibly, says, I never liked this episode much, as I'm a huge McCoy fan. Yes, the episode doesn't feature McCoy or Scotty, I should have said. Uh, but as time goes by, I'm wishing for an Organian-type solution to our gun problem. Wouldn't it be great for all guns to be too hot to hold? I would love to see all those guns be worthless. I'm, I'm not even going to comment on that. By now, you should know where I stand with regards to that With terms of our politics. If you listen, uh, if not, go and listen back. <laughs> I don't disagree Uh, Frank J Hernandez says One of my very favourite episodes of all time Well written and splendidly delivered The end is just perfect and its effect on me as a child When I first saw it, cannot be overstated Uh, Gene Evans says Great episode, heart emoji John Colicos made such a deliciously great villain 100 emoji, 3 clap emojis (laughs) So Rex Bellator said, uh, I watched it not long ago. It's a good episode, but also one that shows how certain conventions the Trek has become known for, like the Prime Directive, weren't even a thing. This is a planet that is supposedly technologically backwards and hasn't changed in thousands of years, according to Spock. Yet there's no question of whether they should initiate combat or not. I think that feeds into one of your criticisms, doesn't it? Um, And finally, we also heard from... um, Someone called Jeremy A. Peron on Facebook, who put a link to his review. Uh, you can find this full review at jeremysstartrekreviews.com. Uh, I didn't have time to read the whole thing, but I'll read the, the last paragraph and the final grade. And I do recommend, uh, if, if you're able to, to go and find his review on the Internet. Uh, he just says, I enjoyed the scenes between core and Kirk. You really see the respect Kor has for his adversary, which helps the fan understand Kirk's reputation. I think it gives Trek fans pleasure to know Kirk's a legend in his own time. And well respected not just among peers but rivals it's also apparent that although he tries to hide it kirk appreciates core as well when aleborn tells him one day the federation and klingons will be friends and they'd help each other core and kirk reject that idea but moments later core starts to propose an alliance against the organians before they learn the full extent of their power long live klingons and the klingon empire final grade five out of five thank mm-hmm. you for that jeremy so that's all of the uh, audience's thoughts so now we get to our thoughts uh, we give a conclusion Uh, And we give our our score which is out of five Starfleet Deltas Or perhaps it should be Klingon symbols (laughs) But no Uh, So DK, um, as I say, I've I've been hosting So we'll come to you first What's your conclusion and your score out of five for this episode? Okay
1: Uh, Many uh, Trek fans these days avoid the original series Believing it to be too old, too aged and goofy To be of any intrinsic entertainment value Nor blessed with good writing. I would say that season one of the show blows that theory out of the water, in general so stuffed with classic episodes as it is. But even amongst that group, Errand of Mercy is a standout, begins with a declaration of war and only gets more intense from there. With only Kirk and Spock in the spotlight, for the most part, it's able to concentrate on the absurdity of the situation they find themselves in and the absurdity of war itself. Gene L. Coon's writing is first class and as you swept away in a torrent of conflicting emotion to the point that you begin to share in Kirk's emotion at several points throughout. Wow. Shatner's understated performance in this serves the script well and of course we have the first appearance of the Klingons. Here they're portrayed as war-loving and entirely ruthless and gave Trek such a memorable antagonist that here we are discussing them over 60 years later Of, uh, of that I have no doubt it's Partly, the very first impression was so striking is down to uh, John Kolikos's core, who is really the third hander in this and plays it brilliantly. It really is objectively a great episode and shows that classic Trek can still compete with anything on TV today and evoke emotion with a message as timeless as it is poignant. It's great stuff. And I've given it four out of five.
0: Awesome. Fair enough. Cool um oh yeah m- mine's a bit long as i'm looking back at it so apologies if it goes on a bit i'll try uh, i'll try perhaps in future episodes to keep it less long-winded uh, i said it's not the greatest episode of the original series but it's probably one of the most representative for better or worse it has political real world allegories exploration of the human condition an intriguing new enemy and one of too many instances of the old non-corporeal deus ex machina the repeated use of this trope in the whole series somewhat dulls its impact here unfortunately Uh, For me, it was a slightly plodding and overly stretched out plot, but elevated by two excellent central performances by Kolokos and Shatner. The intrigue is effective only on first viewing, and then you just question why the Organians didn't reveal themselves sooner. But the commentary on war is very interesting, surprisingly nuanced at times, and thanks to Shatner, again, you find yourself relating and then potentially feeling embarrassed yourself. There are no easy answers, despite the easy sci-fi solution, and I like that. The Klingons here are hardly the well-developed and interesting species we'd come to know, but there was obviously enough to keep interest in them going. It's probably the weakest of their main appearances in the original series, in my opinion, though. Ultimately, it is an enjoyable enough, serviceable episode with some good things and a few that don't quite work. The acting, dynamic direction, and most of the writing puts it above average for me, but not by all that much. Uh, And I went 3.5 out of 5. So giving it the uh, full average for the episode is pretty easy to work out then. And that would mean Errand of Mercy's final Hit or miss Star Trek podcast score is 3.75 out of 5. And pretty definite hit, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Yeah, that's not a bad score at all. I mean, 3.75, it's almost at four out of five. It's, uh, yeah, very good. And we've we've praised a lot. Like I said, there's some things that I take a slight issue with, which I've explained, but good episode. So, awesome. So, DK, have you enjoyed our first uh, time back in the saddle on the Trek reviews then? <laughs> I have. It's uh, It's been a while. It has been far too long. So hopefully uh, you will, audience, stick around with us for more of this. This is the start of a series. We're going to have a break in the middle of the series, I should have explained. But um, we will have, I think, six episodes before that break. And it isn't that long. And then we'll be back with the next five or six, whatever it is as well. But, uh, yeah, for the next few weeks, you'll definitely have us here reviewing, as I said, Klingon-related episodes. Uh, so, uh, DK, anything you wanted to see, or anything you want to shout out where people can find you before we go? No, just, just here, real. here and on the silver screen podcast, as you know. so uh, Awesome. That's cool. Well, uh, yeah, you can always find us via the links that I leave in the descriptions. I see it every episode, but we're on there and we have link trees and everything you can find. Uh, And other than that, yeah, we're just on the two podcast channels. uh, And we're going to be here for a few weeks talking all things Trek, as we enjoy doing. So do join us again this time next week, where we will be reviewing another episode. This time a two-part episode, uh, the next gen episode, Redemption. An uh, an iconic Klingon episode. And we're gonna be joined by Jeff Aiken again from the Starfleet Lead Academy Leadership uh podcast. So looking forward to that one. You DK? Definitely, yeah. Awesome, awesome. So yeah, thanks again. Thanks to you for coming along, DK, and keeping us talking for quite so long. We enjoy talking all things Trek, as you know. And uh again, do interact with us if you get the chance. We're always uh, grateful for any interaction thoughts opinions or any uh you know talk about the episode that we're going to be reviewing or even the ones that we have you can leave in the comments or on our social medias and uh, yeah if there's anything you want to see us review or talk about feel free to ask that as well and otherwise we will be back next week so in the meantime do remember we are Starfleet, live long and prosper or possibly kapla <laughs> live long and prosper kapla you have been listening to the hit or miss star trek podcast hosted by michael
1: wilson and dk created produced and edited by michael wilson
0: additional material produced by dk music by timeless journey more information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey the hit or miss star trek podcast is based on an idea by michael wilson and will templar Follow the podcast on Instagram at Home Star Trek Podcast or look for the Hit or Miss Star Trek Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.